We're going to be looking this morning in Galatians chapter 3 for our scripture reading today. A message I call the blessing of salvation or the curse of sin. The blessing of salvation or the curse of sin. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. Our passage today places before us simple yet eternally serious and spiritually defining message for our culture today. It is a message that is every bit as much needed as it was when it was first given over 19 centuries ago. And all of these intervening matters of time have not brought us to the place where we could look at this and say, well, you know, this really doesn't apply to us. It does apply to us very much. It compels us to consider the facts presented in the title of this message. There is the blessing of salvation and there is the curse of sin. The blessing of salvation is promised only and exclusively to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to experience the blessing of salvation. By contrast, the curse of sin is promised to everyone who chooses trying over trusting, who chooses works over faith, who chooses religion and ritual over the true righteousness. And that idea is embodied in our text under the general heading of the works of the law. And that is the law of Moses. Long ago, God used that old patriarch prophet to deliver Israel an ultimatum about blessing and cursing. It occurred in what came to famously be known as the Valley of Decision. On one side was Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim was beautiful and green and lush, uh, a very beautiful place. On the other side of the valley was Mount Eval. And Mount Eval was uh, very rocky, very barren, very dry. You may have visited a Pacific island at some point in your life and you saw where one side of the island was very lush and beautiful and it rained almost every day and the other side of the island was dry and barren. And this may very well have been that kind of a place, though it's not an island, it is close to the sea. And uh, so here was one mountain and very beautiful, very lush, very green. And God said that would be the place of blessing. On the other side was that other mountain, Mount of all, and that, he says, was a place of cursing. And in between was Israel in the valley of decision. Moses would say in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 26, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land, whether thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. 
Paul is referring to this passage in Galatians chapter 3 where he talks about the blessing and the curse. Now, the blessing that was promised by obeying the law is very important. By doing the things that God told them to do and by not doing the things that God told them not to do, the blessing was never that they would be saved, that they would have eternal life, or to put it the way we like to put it, that they'd go to heaven when they die. That was never the blessing that was promised to them. Now, they made it that way. And by the time that Paul came along, he had been raised all of his life to believe that way, but that was not the way it was presented to them. You see, the reason why that God chose Mount Gerizim, beautiful, lush, fertile, uh, very beautiful place, uh, was because it was a symbol of the blessings that God would bring upon them in the promised land, that land that they were going to, the land, he said, that flows with milk and with honey. And so there was Mount Gerizim to show them about the blessings and how that God would bless them if they lived their lives the way that he told them to live. They avoided the things that he told them to avoid. Of course, they never got to that completely. That's why the law contained a sacrificial system. But listen, the law was never about their salvation. Paul would bring up two great passages that serve as the foundation of this argument. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And he, that's Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he, that's God, accounted it to him for righteousness. That means it was deposited to his account. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. Habakkuk chapter 2 is the other passage then where Habakkuk said, The just shall live by faith. So all the way back to Father Abraham and the prophet uh, Habakkuk, that would be the law and the prophets and their way of thinking. Paul, uh, thinking Paul brought up both of these passages to show them that salvation was by faith. You see, salvation has always been by grace through faith. God did not have one way of people being saved in the Old Testament and then another way of people being saved in the New Testament. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. And as a result, then, we get this powerful statement in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 12. The law is not a faith. The law is not a faith. It never was. The law is about a command, do this, and about obedience, you do it. The law is about a command, don't do this, and obedience, don't do it. There's nothing about faith in that. It is very clear, very spelled out. It is absolute there. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't have anything to do with it. Now, if you see a sign on the side of the road that says the speed limit is 75 miles an hour, and you say, I don't believe that. I believe it's really 90. I'm sure that an Arkansas state policeman can convince you of otherwise. You see, whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. The law is the law, whatever it is. It's not a matter of faith. Do this, God said. And they were obligated to do it. Don't do this. They were forbidden to do it. It was all about God's command and their obedience. The law was not about faith. But salvation is. And so we will begin our time this morning looking at these two great contrasts, these two great statements the curse of sin and the blessing of salvation. And since I've always been a bad news first kind of guy, we'll start out with the curse of sin. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Mankind in his fallenness has always turned to self-effort, to his own works. It's been a natural inclination going all the way back to Cain and Abel. You'll remember how that Abel brought an offering of faith, while Cain brought an offering of his own works. Uh, You'll remember there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were sowing fig leaves to cover themselves. It's always been that way. We have always turned to self-effort, to self-reformation, as if somehow by our actions we can make ourselves right with God. But if we turn to this standard of righteousness, we need to understand this morning that puts us under the curse. That has always been the way. It is still that way today. We are still falling short of God's standard. But somehow when we embrace this kind of idea, we end up having an idea, concept of the Christian faith that for the most part is abhorrent to people. I'm convinced that a lot of what people reject and call Christianity is actually not the truth of the gospel. It is the idea that somehow by our own works and by our own effort we can make ourselves right with God. And the reason why that is so abhorrent is because the world looks at us, God's people, church people, and they see very quickly that we don't even keep the standards of the law. We don't live up to it. And if the people who claim to believe it this most then aren't living it, and again, you're, you have to think with me, they are thinking about this concept of Christianity based on works, based on keeping the law, based on self-righteousness, based on following the commandments. And they, are, they look at us and we don't do that. We, we don't do it all the time. And so from their thinking, they say, well, here you are trying to tell me how to live and the end of all of this then is tragic. It brings us very quickly back to what is said again and again in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. How would you like to live in America where everybody did what they wanted to do? Where there was nobody to enforce the law. Oh wait, oh that sounds familiar. Um, you see, though there was no king in Israel, there was no throne in Israel, there was no governmental authority then to enforce the law, the law was still there. God was still on the throne. The king of kings was still enthroned over the universe, and men were still accountable to him, but they didn't like that. And so they threw it off very quickly. We'll do whatever we want. We understand then where the battle is in in culture as people look at this. They look at this concept of Christianity that is based on doing the law and keeping the law. And yet the people who claim to believe it don't live it. And I don't like it. (laughs) I don't want it. And so culture rejects it. I think we need to understand, and I'm going to try with the help of the Holy Spirit today to show you, though, just exactly what it is that you are rejecting or what you are embracing if you embrace the idea that somehow salvation is about your own works, the works of the law. 
read the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to take you there and read the whole passage. I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis. Uh, You can have no other God besides me. No idolatry, no graven image, no misuse of God's name. Honor my day, keep the Sabbath, honor your parents, honor thy father and your mother. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't lie on your neighbors or your co-workers, don't covet, don't even think about doing all these things. Ten. If you read those through very carefully, we would all admit with each and every one of them, I've broken this. I have to say I might get by on idolatry. I've never made an idol and I've never even wanted to as far as I know. But you look at the rest. And remember that Jesus taught us very emphatically in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not just the doing of these things, but the contemplation of these things, the thinking about it, the wanting to, the desire to do these things. That's all there. We can't really look at those Ten Commandments and say, I have never done this or I have always done this. Jesus taught us that all the law is wrapped up in two statements. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. If we go from Ten Commandments then down to just two, we're still in a mess. Because you see, the failure to do what God says to do is every bit as much a violation of the law as is the doing of what God has forbidden us to do. So if we have failed to love God with all of our heart, if we have failed to love our neighbor as ourself, if we would look at that honestly and say, you know, I don't think I've really lived up to that standard all the time, then that means that we are under the curse. I want you to notice, first of all, that the curse comes to us in the here and now. For some reason, everybody wants to project this out to the moment of their death. And I know why, because that's the whole concept of a works-based righteousness. If we've got to get with God before we die, then, and we've got to keep it or we've got to live it out somehow, we're going to make this all uh, a combination thing. Yeah, I believe in God, but then I've, I've got to live it myself. Then the natural time to get right with God is right before you die. <laughs> because number one, you know, if you, if, you got there, if you got right just even five or ten minutes before that, some nurse might come in and make you mad. You'd lose the whole thing. So we want to wait to just that very moment right before we die. That is a works-based concept. And if that's what your thinking is today, then that is showing you that you're relying on your own performance. But the Bible doesn't talk about what we will be, but that we are right now under the curse. And as if it needed affirmation, then it is given to us. It is written. It is. Is written. We understand then why such a blatant attack is being made in our culture against the Word of God because it declares emphatically, irrefutably, undeniably that we are under the curse of sin because we have not done all the things that God has told us to do and we are doing the things that God has told us not to do. The 
curse then not only is a present tense curse, but it also comes upon everyone. Cursed is everyone. Prince or pauper makes no difference. The religious person is every bit as much under the curse of the law as is the person living on the street. Makes no difference. Everyone is under the curse. The Bible often pictures us as being mired in sin, as if sin was that miry, uh, gumbo-like kind of clay. And I mean, we are bottomed out. We are stuck in the mud. We are in the mire of sin. Like the psalmist said, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained within and sinking to rise no more. We were all there in the mire, in the muck. We were stuck and there was no way to extricate ourselves. By the law then, we try to form a chain that can pull us out. We ask ourselves a simple question. How many links has to break in a chain before the chain fails? Only one. Only one. And yet we look at the law and we will admit that, yes, I have violated these. I, I am not doing these things. And what we are seeing then as we try to weave together a chain made of our own works, it is doomed to fail. Cursed is everyone. Everyone. There's a demand then of continuity. Uh, we see uh, the existence of the curse and the fact of the curse. We are under the curse. The curse is on everyone. The curse is on everyone who does not continue. Have you been real good? Let me ask you another question then. Have you kept the law, all the law, all the time? Can we look to the future and hope that we would somehow be good every day and every hour and every moment for as long as we live? For the entirety of our lives, will we keep all the law? There's the demand then of continuity who does not continue. We must also notice that the curse makes no exception. That is all things which are written to do them. All things. To see the rigid demand of the law has caused some religions to create a complicated system of indulgences. So that some would be uh, really, really bad. But you could kind of get away with it if you give the right way or you do the right thing. Uh, so some of them, uh, there's this complicated system of indulgences. Some things are deadly, uh, like divorce, for example. Other things just require you to make a penance. Uh, maybe perform uh, some ritual or light a candle or say a prayer. But I want you to know this morning that the law makes no such exception for sin. It is right here in our text. If you choose the law, you must do it all. All the time. No exceptions. No exclusions. No indulgences. No time off for good behavior. You got to do it all. And all the time. People have decided and many people still believe that they can do these things and live by them. No one could testify more confidently. Listen to that. No one could testify more confidently that he was keeping all the law than Paul himself, the apostle. He was raised in that. He would say in Romans chapter 7, I was alive 
without the law once. I, I thought I had it down. I was doing it all. I had everything just as it should be. But it was the same authority who said that no flesh can be justified by the law because the law puts everyone under the curse of God. If you buy into this, it is inevitable that eventually you will see it as a failure and yourself as a failure. Millions are. They have assumed a hopeless weight of guilt and, and there's no extricating from it. They're living uh, and resigned to the idea that uh, they're, they're not going to make it. Uh, there's some kind of punishment and they're going to have to have it. Uh, there's little hope in the fact that you were baptized as an infant. You don't even remember it. Uh, there's little hope in the fact that you were confirmed in early adolescence. Your religious rituals leave you in fear, and it doesn't take away from the fear. Uh, you're given then this obligation to pray to a person about whom the Bible says absolutely nothing about regeneration, absolutely nothing about salvation, and pray for her that she would intercede for you now as a sinner. And at the moment of your death, say at one time or a hundred million times, there's no hope in that at all. It's a hopeless system. And in your heart today, you know it. But I've got good news for you. Aren't you glad I'm finally getting to the good news? <laughs> That's the bad news. The bad news is the curse of sin. But the good news is the just shall live by his faith. And because of that, I can offer you then the glorious blessing of salvation. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. <laughs> hey, y'all can do better than that. Get, to, get rid of that Baptist lockjaw for a little bit. Let it out. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. Amen. Being made a curse for us. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. For it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham. Might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise. Of the spirit through faith. So we see that first statement. Cursed is everyone. Now we see the second one. Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. So that we might. Uh, notice we might. We might. That I mentioned we might. We might. Receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It is not the promise that is in question. Only the faith is in question. Will you believe it? It is offered to you fully and freely. Why anyone would claim and lay hold upon a, a hopeless uh, form of religious ritual that brings you only the curse and fear and turn away from Jesus Christ. I can't understand it, but millions are doing it. I wish I had the power within me somehow to get you to see that you don't have to live your life in fear. You don't have to live your life under the curse of that horrible weight of guilt. Jesus Christ died on the cross to deliver you from that bondage of guilt so that you might, you might receive him by faith. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? <laughs> Can't do what's already done. The world was already under the curse. 
Jesus did not have to do one thing to put the world under the curse. The world was already under the curse. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, might be saved. There it is again. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It is only after we have felt the full burden and weight of the curse that we can rejoice in the incredible truth that Christ has redeemed us from it. It is our responsibility, as we did with the first statement, to look carefully at the second. We see the means of it. He tells us that Jesus was made a curse for us. Made a curse. You see, Jesus did not live under the same curse that everybody else did. We would have to try to imagine what it would be like to have never sinned. To have never done a single thing that God told us not to do. To have never failed to do the things that God told us to do. We could only imagine a life lived without ever having to say, I'm sorry. Uh, Sorry, Allie McGraw, I'll take that line from you. We could only imagine what it would be like uh, to live a life, never having to apologize, never having to admit that we had failed, never having to come face to face. Once again, I have failed and fallen short. We, We could only imagine that life. But Jesus didn't have to imagine it because he lived it. He was not under the same curse because he had fulfilled all of the laws to man. For his whole life, his enemies did everything they could do to try to convict him of sin. And yet God saw to it that Pontius Pilate of all people said not once but three times, I find no fault in him. None. I doubt Pontius Pilate had a clue about the significance of what he said. But the Holy Spirit did. No more than Caiaphas had a clue about what he said when he said it's expedient that one man should die for the people. But the Holy Spirit knew. And God, the Holy Spirit, saw to it that Jesus was tried in that high court. And he was declared not guilty. I find no fault in him. He had no curse upon him. But he was made a curse for us. And Paul makes sure that he calls our attention to that awful tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Even the eyewitnesses of that event could not testify conclusively as to what happened because God saw to it at high noon on that day at the sixth hour. The lights went out and the world was plunged into darkness. How did God do it? I don't have a clue. You think it was an eclipse? It wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. Not even close. God put the light out from from noon till 3 o'clock. Should have been the brightest time of the day. Not that day. The awful work of redemption when Jesus bore your curse and mine. It's done in the dark. It was a Jewish holiday. And for that reason and that reason only, they took his body off the tree. Had it not been for that, he would have been left to die. And it usually took days. And after that, their bodies would be left nailed there to rot as a public spectacle. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That is the means of our salvation. 
Jesus took our curse. He became our curse. He was made a curse for us. He took our sin. He was made sin for you and for me. That is the means of our salvation. But it is also important that we see then the blessing of our salvation. And the first one is this, justification. That is the blessing of Abraham. God had promised Abraham, uh, most notably in Genesis chapter 22, that in thy seed, and that seed is Jesus Christ, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. While no flesh can be justified by the law, because the law is not of faith, uh, there is amazing truth that we can be justified by faith. Why choose that complicated, complex, hopeless system of works and ritual that doesn't work and has never saved anybody over the glorious truth that has always saved from all the way back to Adam, all the way back to Abraham, all the way through the prophets. They all give the same witness that whosoever believeth, then it is accounted unto them for righteousness. That's the great truth of justification. Then there's the great promise that you might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. That means when you get saved, God puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. In a way, not only did Jesus Christ give himself for our sins, but he has given himself to us. And his presence in you and me then stands as a guarantee that God will complete that purchased possession we will go to heaven. We receive the Spirit of God when we believe on the Lord Jesus. And it is His continual presence in us then that reminds us that though we still fail and though we still fall short, we have Christ in us by the Spirit. And He is constantly then convicting us and calling us to walk by faith and to live by faith. And we do. We live by faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's wrap this up then today in a simple way. All of humanity is in one of two places. Not some combination of the two. But you're on one side of this or the other. You're either under the curse. Or you are experiencing the blessing of salvation. You have one or the other. The blessing of salvation or under the curse. It may be as Jesus said. That men love darkness. And that may be your problem. You love your sin. More than you love the idea of the Savior. You love your sin more than you love the idea of being saved. With some it might be simple unbelief. With some you've been blinded by false religion. You've bought into the idea that somehow by your own works. You can lift yourself out of the curse. But it becomes my responsibility to tell you that we are all in one of two places. We are under, either under the curse or we're experiencing the blessing of salvation. If you want to be saved today, the first thing is that you've got to admit that you're under the curse. That means that all your good deeds, listen to me today, all of them, 
All your acts of religion, all of your ritual, all of your effort to keep the Ten Commandments, all of your effort to do all the things that God tells you is right and healthy and wholesome and good and not to do all the things that God says not to do, all the bad things that God keeps us from, all the religion that we've been given, all of those things that you have put upon yourself and put before yourself, all of those things only serve to put you under the curse. The curse of God. It's on them all. It's on them all. This is the standard. Everyone. Everyone. Must do everything. That the law demands. Every day. Of your life. Everyone. Everyone must do everything. Every moment of every day. That's why the Bible tells us. That we are all under the curse. If there's no indulgence. There's no penance. No leniency. You choose your own works, then all your goodness brings you under the curse. If you can admit then that you're under the curse today, you can accept that Christ redeems us from the under the curse because he became a curse for us. This isn't some vague belief that I'm calling you to today, some idea that somehow God loves us and that kind of has something to do with who you are and what you are or what you have. It's not some kind of vague awareness uh, of maybe there's Jesus and, and I don't really understand all of that, but it's okay. But I, I, all I know is that God loves me and I'm not a bad person. We must accept that Christ redeems us from the curse. We must admit, number one, that we're under the curse. And I know that's hard to do. But when you do that, then you can accept that Jesus Christ redeems us from the curse. It's not just a belief in God, that God exists. The devils believe in God, but they're not saved. If you believe in God, then you believe you're accountable to Him. And you have to face then that reality that everyone is under the curse. And if you're under the curse, then you can accept that Jesus became a curse for you. And he'll save you freely if you'll ask him to. And then lastly today, for those who've received this redemption, and I realize that the overwhelming majority of the people that I'm preaching to today have received that glorious truth of redemption. You say, why are you preaching it? Because God inspired it. It's right here in the Bible and we need to see it. But what's it mean to me? You can't get saved again, even if it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun probably. But you can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can have a renewed awareness of how deeply you were mired in sin. How far you were from the shore how you were going down, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard your despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. Now save, save, save am I.
Every time, you see, we get a renewed awareness of what it was like to be under the curse. We can rejoice all over again in the fact that love lifted us and that Jesus Christ saved us. Aren't you glad that he was made a curse for us? We have good news to bring. We have good news to bring. The curse of the law is upon everyone, everyone who doesn't do everything that God demands every day. And if God had left us in that mess, that's exactly where we'd be in that mess. But Jesus Christ became a curse for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, I want you to be sure today that you have trusted in Jesus Christ and not your own works. I want to call on those of you who are at home to think seriously about this matter. You may have been raised all your life in a religious ritual. And it doesn't matter what name it is or what ritual you might put on it. It was a religion built around the idea that somehow we can extricate ourselves from the demand of the law. You can't. Either Jesus Christ gets you, has got you out or you're still under it. The curse. The curse. But you don't have to be. I'd love to be able to take God's word and talk to you more about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. My phone number is on the screen. 501-860-4733. I'd encourage you folks to text me first. I'd love to call you back. I'll call you back just as soon as I can to talk to you more about what it means to trust in Jesus. Maybe those here today, maybe you need to make that decision. Maybe not this decision. Maybe you've been saved, but maybe you hadn't followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're needing a church home and you know it and you believe God wants you to be a part a faith missionary Baptist. Maybe you can't come forward today. I understand. I'll be at the back. Please come by and talk to me. I'd love to be able to talk to you about your decision of faith in Jesus Christ.